morning's scripture is Luke 15, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 32. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he had to be, he had began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields of feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and there I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up, went to his father, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened cow and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, 
But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property and prost- with prostitutes, came home, you killed the fattened calf of him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Rip. Will you pray with me? Well, blessed are you, God of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and your word came to live with us, full of grace and truth. So as we listen this morning, may our ears be attuned to you. As your word is spoken, may you speak to us. May all we hear lead us to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Amen. This morning we're finishing a short four-week series looking at the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke is one of four accounts of Jesus' life. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three what we're calling kingdom stories. Some people call them parables. All three stories have, have a lot in common. They're basically the same story told three different ways. Somebody has something that's very valuable to them. They lose it. And then at great cost to themselves, they go out and get it back. That's the basic structure of all three stories. The last story is the most complex, which is why we're giving two weeks to it, and in fact, the more I learn about it, the more I think we could give a month just to this story that's commonly called the prodigal son. You heard it um, as Rip read it. Last week, we we really listened with the ears of the younger brother. You know, there's a father and there's a, he has two sons, an older brother and a younger brother. Last year, last year, last week, we tried to listen through the ears of the younger brother. This week, we're trying to listen through the ears of the older brother. The story of the younger brother, this is a little bit of a recap, is really aimed at non-religious people. Jesus is telling that story to to people who aren't church people. So if you're not a church person, last week was your sermon. Um, I would honestly, I would encourage you to go to our website and you can look it up. It's called A Wasteful and Extravagant God. It's right on our homepage. Uh, That one's for you. If you're not a church person, this week's sermon is not for you. You're welcome to listen, of course, but I'm really not going to be preaching to you. Uh, this week, we're, we're preaching to church people. So those of you who are church, you've been going to church all your life, you've been following God and following Jesus for decades, maybe many decades, this one's for you. I remember year, over 10 years ago, I was having a conversation, this is when I lived in North Carolina, Uh, with a man, a friend named Ken. Ken was 70, he was in his 70s, 75 or so. And we started talking about this story. Um, Remember when Jesus is crucified on the cross and there are two thieves, criminals, next to him and one of them uh, says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And just this, this like really brief interaction and all of a sudden, Jesus basically forgives this man's sins right before he dies. 
And I remember my friend Ken said, that's so offensive. And I said, what do you mean? He said, this, this guy, he's a, he's a criminal. He's immoral. He's a thief. All, and just at the very last minute, he can skate in. And I spent my whole life like being good and moral and, and, and follow, obeying God. And he can get the same thing that I can get. That's offensive. If you felt the same way, this morning is for you. We're going to have some fun this morning. Remember the context. This is why I made sure that each week we're reading those first three verses. Jesus is talking to a group of people called Pharisees. These are the religious, not just religious people of Jesus' day, but religious leaders in Jesus' day. They're the good guys. They're the ones that if you want to be religious, you want to be like them. And Jesus, the setting is, he's having a meal with tax collectors. It says tax collectors and sinners. The worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel. And Jesus is enjoying a meal and a a little party with them. The Pharisees mutter, like, why does he eat with them? So Jesus tells three stories. Just one little note before we really jump in. There's There's an old saying among preachers that if you preach from your own weakness, you'll never run out of material. Um... I'm preaching, I'm preaching as much to myself here as, I mean, if, <laughs> I'm a pastor, I'm a church person, right? <laughs> and I'm an older brother. Like, biologically, I'm an older brother, but spiritually, I have a lot of these older brother tendencies. So as you hear me preach and as you hear me say, frankly, some hard things this morning, know that I'm preaching to myself just as much as I'm preaching to any of you here. This morning, we're going to focus really on two realities, just two, very simply. Number one, religious people often have the same manipulative motivations as non-religious people. And number two, God has the same tender heart towards religious people as he has towards non-religious people. That's where we're going. In other words, if you want to put it a little bit differently, you might say both religious people and non-religious people approach God with the same wicked motivations, and God responds to both religious and non-religious people with the same tender mercy and grace. If you don't listen to anything else, hear that. Now, that may come as a surprise, because Jesus clearly sets up this story as a contrast between the rebellious younger brother and the rule-following older brother. And if you have siblings or if you're a parent, especially with at least two kids, you know, like, usually the younger child is the rebel and the older child is the rule-follower. The younger brother is the wild and crazy one. The older brother is the submissive, the, the rule-follower, the obedient. Now, you may be thinking, how can they be? They're, they're, not, they're not the same at all, especially in this story. The younger brother goes off and wastes everything, and the older brother stays home faithful to his father, Right? Let's look deeper at it. First, let's just remind ourselves quickly of the story of the younger brother. You may say that his central sin is that he wants the father's stuff more than he wants the father's relationship. He wants the father's stuff more than he wants the father himself. We see it at least twice. First, when he tells his dad, give me my share of the inheritance now. In that culture, that's that's another way of saying, dad, you're dead to me. I don't want you around. I just want what you can give me. And then we saw it more subtly, but equally as pernicious, when he comes back to the father. Because the text is very clear. The son doesn't come back, the younger brother doesn't come back to his father wanting to restore a relationship. He comes back to the father wanting to eat. And he thinks he can work his way and actually buy his way back into the family. 
If you're a parent, you know how offensive it is, how hurtful and insulting it would be for your kid to, th- to think they could buy your affection. That, that flies in the face of what it means to be a parent. We see that the younger brother values dad, not for dad himself, not for who he is, but for what he can get out of him, what he can squeeze out of him. And at this point, all of the religious people listening to Jesus tell the story are offended, and then Jesus says something even worse. The father takes him back. Even in all of his manipulative motivations, even though he never actually says, Dad, I want a relationship with you, Dad goes out and takes him back. It's incredible. It's a scandal. And then Jesus turns the tables again. (laughs) And he says, it's the same with older brothers too. Both the younger brother and the older brother are wily and manipulative and subversive. So let's take a look at the older brother. The number of details that clue us in, I just want to look. We're going to go blow through like a number of small details and show what's going on, and then we're going to put it together and see what it means. When we're properly introduced to the older brother, uh, if you remember, where do we see him? He's not at the party. So the younger brothers come home. Dad's excited. He's thrown a big party. He killed a fattened calf, which is a cow, it takes, best estimate, about 200 people to eat a fattened calf. So this is a big party that dad has thrown. Older brother, nowhere to be found. He's out in the field. It says he's coming home from a field, which means he's probably working, working hard. And he hears the sound of music and dancing. The sound of music is, you hear the sound of music. Have you ever heard dancing? Like, this is not, this is not polite dancing. This is, this is a raucous if you're going to hear dancing, like, this is, this is a good party, okay? Over 200 people, a fe- there's good food, there's good drink, there's good music, there's good dancing. It's enough in whatever supposed village they live in for him to hear at a distance. Now, imagine you're the older brother, and you're coming home from a hard day's work. You don't know anything that's going on, and you hear a party, a massive party going on at your house. What do you think? What's your, what's your response? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of hard to put ourselves, but try to imagine. I, I think if it were me, I, I'd be confused. Like, wait, I, I didn't get the memo. I didn't hear about this. Dad, you should have maybe told me. But if it's a good party, like, I want to be there, right? I, even if you're an introvert like me, like, you may not want to be in the middle of the dance floor, but you want to be part of that energy and get swept up in it. So why does the older brother, do you notice this? He doesn't go find out what's going on. He keeps his distance. He asks somebody else, tell me what's going on. Why? There's a, there's a scholar a thousand years ago, a Syriac Christian scholar. He lived in what is now uh, Iraq. His name, his full name, get this, his full name is Abu al-Faraj Abdallah ibn al-Taib al-Mashraqi. I think I pronounced that right. Uh, I'll never remember that. I don't expect you to. I just think it's kind of amazing. Uh, most people abbreviate Ibn al-Taib. And he's, so a thousand years ago, he gets, he's from there, so he gets that culture better than we do as white 21st century, mostly white 21st century Americans. Here's what he writes in a commentary about this exact story from their perspective. The older brother asked the reasons for the banquet as though the family had no right to set up such a banquet in his absence. 
He should have, he continues, he should have entered the hall and shared the joy of those who were, who were rejoicing. He asked about the banquet, implying that the father had no right to set up that kind of a party in his absence. This is the first clue into the heart of the older brother. And when he hears why, he gets angry. You notice this? Now, this should be good news. His own brother, who was gone probably for years, has come back. This should be exciting. But he doesn't get excited. He gets angry. Let's state the obvious here. Um, It's not the older brother's prerogative to get angry. The younger brother has not sinned against the older brother. He sinned against his father. But the older brother gets angry on his father's behalf. Why is that? He wasn't the one who was hurt. It's as though he's overly sensitive to his brother's sin, and as we're going to see, blind to his own. The father doesn't need the older brother to defend him. In fact, he gets so angry that he hears what's going on and he refuses to go in. You notice that? So the, the, whoever it was who told him, some translations say a slave or a servant or a young boy, says your younger brother was lost and is found. You would think he would go in, but he stays put. Next thing we know, he's speaking with his father outside the party. Again, let's just state the obvious. That means dad had to leave the party. Now, in that kind of a culture... Dad, being the host of the party, was in a position of honor. In fact, they set up parties so that Dad was probably sitting at a table very conspicuously within view of everybody. Everybody could see him. If you wanted to talk to the father and everybody would want to go up and honor the father for throwing the party, you went up and talked to him. You didn't make him come talk to you. And yet, what does the older brother do? He functionally makes dad not just get down from his place of honor, but leave the party altogether to go out and talk to him. Dad has to leave his very visible place of honor, set aside his dignity, just to plead with his entitled older son. And when he does, the son, what does he do? He just just rips into his dad. Listen to what he said. I'll read it again. Verse 29. Older brother said, look. How's that for a way to start a conversation? Look. That's completely disrespectful. Look, Dad. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Just just point out a number of things. First, I've been slaving for you, to which you might imagine the father thinking, wait a minute, You're you're my son. Is that how you see yourself as my slave? Parents, you know how heartbreaking this would be. One, one of you, actually, one of you in here sent me an email just this morning reflecting on this and said that you think that word slaving is the most hurtful word in this whole passage, and I think you could make a really good case for that. For a son, for a kid to say, I slave for you, mom or dad. He continued, he doesn't stop there. I never disobeyed your orders. And you think, wait, okay, never? And you never even gave me a young goat 
so I could celebrate with my friends. And this is where his heart really starts to spill out. You know, you can't keep this stuff down forever. The truth always comes out. What's he saying? I slave for you, and you never give me anything. I slave for you, Dad, and you never give me anything. That's not a relationship. That's a business transaction. The older brother is only sticking around for what? For what dad can give him. The younger brother only came back for what? For what dad can give him. You see what's going on? The younger brother and the older brother have the exact same heart. It looks very different on the surface, but if you dig deep down enough, they're exactly the same. And the older brother, in his arrogance, is completely blind to the fact. You have given me nothing, he says to dad. He actually doesn't even start there. Stop there. Then he says, when this son of yours, he can't even say, like, it's his brother. I use his name for Christ. When this, he doesn't even admit it's his own brother. It's like he's completely dissociated himself from his, this son of yours goes off and squanders your property with prostitutes. Now, by the way, when Jesus tells a story about the younger brother, it never says he did anything uh, that kind of immoral with the money. It says he was wasteful and excessive with it. Yes, squandered it, probably a good word. But there's no indication that the younger brother did that with the money, which means that the older brother is doing what? He's just making assumptions and letting them fly. Make some assumptions and let her rip. But he never actually goes through the trouble to find out what happened. You gave him more than me. You give him a fattened calf and you don't even give me a goat? Father, I obeyed you. I did everything right. I never left you. I never disobeyed you. And you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. These other people who are not as obedient as I, you treat them better? How could you? How dare you? You ever had that kind of a conversation with God? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) God, I did everything right. God, I've done everything right. I followed you. I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed. I went to the group. I served in this and that and did this and that. How come you're treating me this way, God? What's going on in that conversation? That's an older brother conversation where we're functionally saying what? God, I want what you can give me more than I want you. In that moment, your heart's no different than the heart of the older brother, which is no different than the heart of the younger brother. And Jesus turns the tables yet again because what happens? The father leaves the party. The father knows his son. He knows his personality. He knows his arrogance. He knows his sense of entitlement. He probably knows exactly how this conversation is going to go. And he leaves the party. 
Remember, we, we said last week, and it's worth repeating, this is often called the story of the prodigal son, and it refers to the younger son. If you look up the word prodigal, it means wasteful and excessive. And sure, what the son did, what the younger son did was wasteful and excessive, but really, you could make a case that this is about our prodigal God, the prodigal father who is wasteful and excessive in his tenderness and his mercy. Think about it. The older son makes his father leave, excuse me, makes his father leave his place of honor at the banquet, disgraces him. He implies that his father is a fool for taking his younger brother back. He accuses his father of being unjust. He insults his father by suggesting he knows better than his father. He implies that his father has withheld love from him. <laughs> like, at that moment, how do you expect the father to respond? Especially in an ancient culture, that son has earned a whooping, as we say where I'm from. He's earned an absolute beating. But how does the father respond? He leaves the party. He endures the disgrace. He knows everybody at the party is going to start whispering and wondering. He listens to his son and pleads with him. And he says, what is he Son, everything I have is already yours. Come to the party. Like your brother was dead and now is alive. You're... There's one commentator who, who puts it so simply but so well. He says, the father treats both sons with equal tenderness, even though neither deserves it. You see, when the, when the younger brother returned with manipulative motives, his father set aside his dignity and ran out of the city to meet him. And when the older brother returned from the fields with an arrogant spirit, the father set aside his dignity by leaving the place of honor at the banquet and went out to invite his older son home. Now this, this story, there's younger brother elements and those are right, but Jesus aims this story directly at the hearts of older brothers, very intentionally. Remember, he's, he's, he tells the whole story in response to the Pharisees accusing him. So to the older brothers, and remember, I'm an older brother too here, so I'm preaching to myself as much as to any of you. Listen clearly. Like, older brothers, it is not your wickedness that keeps you from God. It's your goodness that keeps you from God. You see that? In fact, your goodness is probably more sinister and more dangerous than the younger brother's wickedness. Because if his wickedness is a gaping flesh wound, at least you know it and feel it and realize you need to do something about it. But the spirit of an older brother is more like a cancer that slowly and subtly grows beneath the skin. You don't feel it, you don't notice it, sometimes until it's too late. Oh, it's dangerous. In Galatians 2, Paul puts it this way. He says, if justification were through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Direct quote. 
In other words, if you could earn God's affection or God's approval by the law, by the religious law, by doing what's right, by behaving, by being obedient, by slaving for him, then that symbol is meaningless. Then the very thing that Jesus came to do was a complete waste of time. Why? Because you could do it on your own. You don't need the cross. But Jesus says to older brothers as well as younger brothers, you never, never, never graduate from grace. You never move on. Some people think I'm saved by grace and then I move on and I get better by works. That's not how it works. You need the grace of Jesus. You need somebody to stand in your place because of your weakness and your sickness. And we see it in Jesus who hung on the cross who suffered the utter brokenness so that you might be restored and made whole. You see? (laughs) This is is the good news. This is what the Christian faith is all about. That older brothers, we saw again what it means for younger brothers last week, but older brothers, even in in your arrogance and haughtiness and holier-than-thou attitude and, and You see somebody who's poor and think, well, they just need to work harder. You see someone who's just had a horrible life and think, well, you should have made better decisions. Like in the way you're so certain that you're right and they're wrong, what happens? The father set aside his dignity and left the place of honor at the banquet and came out to get you back. Jesus came for younger brothers and older brothers alike. One does not need Jesus any more or less than the other. Will you hear what he has to say? When the Father leaves the banquet and comes out to plead with you, will you listen? This is really sobering. You notice that Jesus never finishes the story. We never, like the conversation ends and we never find out if the older brother ever went back into the party. What if he didn't? What if he didn't? Stop trying to impress God. Stop trying to impress anybody else by how good you are, by how put together, by how much you've got your act together and see how the Father comes out to you sacrificing his dignity, his privilege, his own honor, so that he can welcome you home to the table. There's, um, <laughs> how are we doing? We're good. There's a, there's a whole nother dimension to this parable. I probably deserves its own sermon or two, and I'm going to do a gross injustice by just giving it a minute or two. But let me just plant this seed. There's another simple question that confronts us That's not just, because Scripture speaks to us individually, but remember, Scripture speaks to us as a community, as a church. So as a church, we probably need to do some business with this too. Are are we a church that longs for younger brothers to come home? That's willing to set aside our own place of dignity and honor to go out and welcome younger brothers home, and older brothers too, for that matter. Or do we expect them to come in on their own? We're here, you can come if you want and kind of quietly tolerate them. There's um, there's a powerful, powerful song about this by a band called Casting Crowns and it uh, it kind of weaves this story of a a young woman who just 
in a really hard place. She's made some really bad decisions with her life, but as you start peeling back layers, you see how she was coerced and manipulated into these things, and she didn't see any other way. And the most powerful part of the song is the bridge, and it just says this, if judgment looms under every steeple with lofty glances from lofty people who can't see past her scarlet letter and they've never even met her, if judgment looms under every steeple with lofty glances from lofty people who can't see past her scarlet letter and they've never even met her. May that not be us. Um, I'm going to close. I just want to read a section. I highly recommend this book if you've never heard of it. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. It's by Brennan Manning. Um, it's just a beautiful picture into the heart of Christ. And Luke 15 is really all about the heart of Christ. Uh, as I read this, listen, listen for uh, the older brother and the younger brother in it. We'll close with this. He writes, According to an ancient Christian legend, a saint once knelt down and prayed, Dear God, I have only one desire in life. Give me the grace of never offending you again. When God heard this, he started laughing out loud. He said, That's what they all ask for. But if I granted everyone this grace, tell me, whom would I forgive? He continues, because salvation is by grace through faith. I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the Lamb dressed in their white robes and holding palms in their hands, it's quoting from Revelation 7, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me she could find no other employment to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse, but did the best she could face with grueling alternatives. The businessman besieged with debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions. The insecure clergyman addicted to being liked who never challenged his people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. The sexually abused teen molested by his father and now selling his body on the street, who, as he falls asleep each night after his last trick, whispers the name of the unknown God he learned about in Sunday school. The deathbed convert, who for decades had his cake and ate it, broke every law of God and man, wallowed in lust, and raped the earth. But how, we ask, and the voice says, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are. There we are. The multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated and soiled by life and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations, but through it all, and clung to the faith. My friends, is how he closes, my friends, if this is not good news to you, you have never understood the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Oh Lord, teach us the gospel of grace. That whether we're a younger brother or an older brother, a rule follower or a rule breaker, obedient or obtuse, your grace is enough for us. We need it. We cling to it desperately. 
There is no other way but by Jesus, who as he hung on the cross said, it is finished. There is no more for us to contribute but to look to the cross. So help us to do that. Give us your spirit. Fill us with your spirit so that by his power, not our own, we might honor you in everything we say and think and do. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.